Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we've tried to cobble together a theme, a broad subject for the episode out of three stories that at first might seem a little unrelated, but I think broadly point to the idea of a lot of our economy being made up as it goes along just not real, fake, fictional, uh, the Jonathan Frakes uh, meme. Yeah, we made it up. It didn't happen. This one was made (laughs) up by a businessman. We're going to go through, in theory here, the sort of the lifespan of a job, from the hiring process to the actual work you might encounter. And, you know, how you might find yourself laid off one day. The circle of life. And, and all of it is going to be depressing. <laughs> less depressing than our recent episodes. Much less Very depressing. True. true, yeah. Finally something that, not that been a, be cry. That would have been a high bar to clear, to be fair. <laughs> this will be a fun one. I swear. We're going to start with an article in the Wall Street Journal from March 20th. It's uh, written by Ping Chen. Headline, job listings abound, but many are fake. Turns out that a lot of companies have gotten into the habit of posting job listings on Indeed, etc. That they don't actually have any intention of filling. These are listings that... Our placeholders, are placebos are just out there with the intention of making it look like the company is hiring when actually they aren't. And there are a few reasons given for why companies are doing this. Before we get into that rationale, it might be best to just get into the statistics Uh, in a survey of more than 1000 hiring managers last summer, 27% reported having job postings up for more than four months among those who said they advertised job postings that they weren't actively trying to fill close to half. said they kept the ads up to give the impression the company was growing. Why would you ever admit that? Nobody made you do that. It's an anonymous survey. Uh, so there's there's the one where it's to create the impression that the company is growing, which is bad enough. But then something like it says here, one third of the managers who said they advertised jobs they weren't trying to fill, which, again, should be a problem from moment one like that. The sentence should end there. There is nothing you can do to make that not a lie. But the reason why is. They kept the listings up to placate overworked employees. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this episode, by the way. That that might that might become important later. Yeah. The, the idea being, you know, they can point to these listings as proof to their workers that, hey, we actually are hiring rather than, you know, actually hiring. They want the workers to not complain, but they don't want to have to pay new people, which, uh, you know, you don't need me to tell you that's bad. That's not good. That's not the way our society should operate. That's not how people should act. And yet here we are. How cool is that guys? We're doing the impossible. What I've been told is that if you work hard enough for a some amount of time, which is very vague, eventually you will be rewarded because the elect among us will see your drive and passion for what you do. And then you will be raised to spend time amongst them in 
essentially capitalist heaven. So, you know, if 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 you need if you complain so much that your company needs to put up fake job postings, then really that's on you for sort of forcing people who are better than you. I mean, we wouldn't call them your superiors otherwise to essentially have to lie to you so that they can treat you like a little child who's just mad that I don't know, like you didn't get enough juice or whatever. This is, I mean, it, it, it's an incredibly infantilizing thing to admit, and it's not very surprising, given the evidence that we see in the article of, of sort of how intricate this scam is, essentially. Yeah, and like beyond just the, you know, wrongness of misleading one's company's investors or workers there is you know the time tax that this takes on job seekers who are going to not know that this is a fictional job that this is not a job they can have anytime soon and you know go through what is probably a decently lengthy application process and we talked quite some time ago now about the like video interviews that these companies are subjecting would be hires to the AI judged facial expression metrics that they have to see if you're, you know, adequately emoting during your recitation of the anecdote you've prepared to impress a hirer. I mean, we, we don't need to imagine this. We have an example from the article Brooke Willeman from Nacogdoches, Texas, recently applied for a job at Nationwide Insurance. As part of her application, she put on makeup, a blazer, and jewelry and sat before her computer and recorded answers to a series of automated job interview questions, doing multiple retakes for each question before she was satisfied. Soon after, she received an email telling her that the company had decided not to fill the role. It's really disheartening, she says. Turns out, not on your side after all. Imagine that. Ooh, got him. It's pretty disgusting. And as somebody who might be looking for a job soon and who many of my acquaintances and friends have recently had to look for jobs, this is, again, very... uh, It's particularly disheartening in an era where, you know, this is going to be a theme. Lou mentioned this off-air, but, like, in particular, tech workers sort of exist in this world apart for, from the rest of us. Like, I have friends who will straight up refuse to apply for a job if it requires a cover letter. There are no jobs I can do that will not require one. Like, that is a guarantee. I will never be able, I will never apply for a job that won't require me to file one. But I have friends who have spent the better part of several months applying for jobs that they can kind of pick and choose what they want to go for. And in many cases, they've reported this. They've said that after they send in the resume and so on, later they find out, oh, actually, the the hiring manager sent an email or something like that. And no, they're not going to fill that position. But on the other hand, because they work in such a skill-focused environment where it's, do you have the right bullet points on your resume? They don't have to customize the resume for every single position. They can just send the same one to 100 different applica- uh, applications, yeah, job postings, and just wait to hear back for a bunch of them. And, you know, meanwhile, some of us are going to be sitting there agonizing over every word we write and making sure that we have all the right keywords from the job description so that the hiring manager will even see what we filed before telling us they don't intend to fill the role anyway. Yeah, I, I do wonder how far some of these application processes are going. Like are people going to in-person interviews? Are people going to like meet people at the company before being informed that, you know, they didn't get the job that didn't really exist because at the risk of sounding like I'm complimenting my boss, uh, I'm punching out, which Graveson would never do it. You what know, are you had, doing right now? No one is making you do this. <laughs> like we've been in the situation at my work where we've wanted more people coming on board. The exact sort of distressed, overworked employees that this article talks about as this whole sham placating. 
and you know it is a big story when we see somebody coming in to talk to my boss because there's an interview going on you know we gossip and speculate about what job they might be doing and how they might make our lives easier and again at the risk of complimenting my boss those people do get hired (laughs) like they are actually hiring yeah no same because like i reading this article in general was really baffling to me because I cannot imagine being in a situation where you're going through, you have so much time on your hands as a hiring manager, where you're, you're willing to put up these article or these job postings to do this because somebody in my situation where I do need to hire, I need to hire because I'm crazy overworked, but that's also an extra task that I have to take care of on my on my plate is hiring the people that I need to make me less overworked. This this situation is so foreign to me as far as something that could exist in my world because nobody is just sitting around. I mean, there are some people and I talk crap about them all the time uh, that I don't think could are working quite as much as me because frankly, like we're all overworked. And we need help. And I don't understand how you would ever want to waste the time of going through the motions of putting up a fake job posting. That's such a waste of time. I think what you might, you're, you're kind of aiming at something that uh, there's a person here, the vice president of communications at Indeed, a man named Scott Dabrowski, to avoid ghost ads, which can we just say, Anytime ghost is in the name of something, not good. Ghost ads, ghost kitchens, ghost runners, just ghost not ship. great. <laughs> there we go. Terrible movie. So ghost town. It, it never a good, never a good thing. It it's always bad. But he says recommends looking for detailed job descriptions, more specifics, such as schedules or a clear list of responsibilities might indicate that an employer is serious, he says. I think what you've just hit on is that a lot of these hiring managers, I think, get a 30-second elevator pitch-style job description and just post that and then forget about it. Because, indeed, apparently, what is it? It's like the the cutoff was like four months, and, and I think that's what usually it takes to be considered inactive. So you can just do that and then, I don't know, whatever a hiring manager does with their time off. Eat? Present at conferences about how employers are the ones who need to be afraid of ice? Like, I... Yeah, this all sounds right. The sort of um, good, quote-unquote, justification for this practice in, given in the article is that some of these companies are looking to hire, just not right now. And by having job listings up constantly throughout the year, they can, you know, keep an eye on the talent that might emerge during the downtimes when they aren't hiring. And, you know, have that person in mind three months down the line, five months down the line when an opening arises. But to this, like, you know, even if you accept that as, a reasonable thing for a company to do, it is going to privilege the sort of person who can wait three months before getting a job, who can take that time, who can, you know, say even that who might leave a job within two months of taking one. It There's a certain sort of person who is going to be the beneficiary of this sort of back pocketing practice. Yeah, and it's it's just lovely, I think, that many of the most, I don't want to say important, because that's not really true, but the companies that unfortunately we are beholden to, uh, so that we can continue to eat and, and live in houses and occasionally have healthcare, that many of them are taking the same approach as you might to like relationships in college. It, it's great to know that you're looking for just, you know, just kind of to shop around, see what's out there. That's that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to find yourself. And 
just picturing a version of Indeed that replicates dating sites where you can list if you're looking for something uh, not serious, you know, something casual. Yeah. yeah. Company, the, the go stats are all uh, status. It's complicated. <laughs> I think that just about does it for this segment because we do have to get into what happens once you take a job, once you find meaningful employment. We'll be back. Oh, hold on. <laughs> meaningful employment. Come on. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. I will not be commenting on what took place during the break, because we have the important (laughs) subject of today's show to talk about. Spent the first segment talking about these mm, fictional job listings, you know, listings on Indeed for jobs that companies aren't really hiring for. And... Now we're moving on to jobs where people actually got hired and then found that they didn't actually have to do anything, which oh, I no, know what a nightmare. much of our audience sounds like the dream, but isn't like great societally, probably. I mean, no, but I will say not just to our audience, but to at least one of our co-hosts. Sounds pretty good compared to his current situation. Just putting that out there. The article that we're basing a lot of this segment on is in the Wall Street Journal headline. These tech workers say they were hired to do nothing. Again, it's by Ping Chen, this time from April 7th. A big week for the Wall Street Journal and Ping Chen. Getting a lot of love on today's show. Uh, perhaps the most we've ever discussed the Wall Street Journal. And we've complimented a boss on this episode. We are so off message, it's not even funny at this point. Actually, it's kind of funny. Anyway, so to quote from the article and to get this segment properly underway, quote, until last year, Madeline Machado, 33 years old, worked for Meta, except she says she didn't really work at all. Ms. Machado, who held a position as a recruiter, says that after joining the company in September 2021, she spent much of her time in meetings that didn't accomplish anything, and that the parent of Facebook and Instagram had too many recruiters and not enough work for them to do. Quote, we just don't hire anybody, and like, we still get paid. She said she was told by other recruiters in a viral TikTok video documenting her experience. She added that she was paid $190,000 a year and was told she wasn't expected to hire anyone in her first year, given that she was still learning the ropes. Meta declined to comment. A lot happening here. The fact that she is a recruiter, that her specific fake work was the act of hiring, does tie nicely in with the content of our first segment. You know, if you're going to have fake listings, you need fake recruiters in order to post them. You need to (laughs) really commit to the bit. And they have. I mean, and what, Beto laid off, what, another 10,000 this month? So, you know, I guess the, the bottom has to drop at some point on your fake jobs and fake company and fake uh, universe. So, you know, it's just in keeping with the theme of meta at this point. This is all, well, to pardon a pun, delightfully meta. Uh, We have... Shame. The article goes on here to note that her TikTok video is not the only such video out there of a tech worker who talked about their experience not really entailing much... uh, work experience so to speak can we can we talk about how infuriating it is that these people could just shut the hell up and collect their massive paychecks 
which doing some quick ballpark math, this person made three times what I make to do nothing. Actually, more than three times, but that's neither here nor there. To do absolutely nothing and then had the audacity to put that in a TikTok video and I believe get fired over it, was it? I think the sort of trend emerged after these workers had been laid off. Lou, you noted that Meta has been laying off thousands of workers. This article goes into sort of the broad trend of the tech industry, which is hiring a lot of people during the pandemic years when everybody was doing things virtually and expecting that to continue forever. And well, it hasn't. So now they're laying all these people off. In in this particular case, the company terminated her, she says, after reprimanding her for posting on TikTok, where she offer, offers, pardon me, career advice, saying her videos post a conflict of interest. Again, all you had to do was not snitch. Like, that's all you had to do. Just, just, just don't. Just don't say anything. Just collect the paycheck and be quiet. Do you know how many people in this country right now would take that amount of money to do nothing all day? Like, it is unbelievable to me that if that anybody like so many people want to do so many things with their time that are not work and don't get to and meanwhile all of the like frankly soulless type a entirely career driven people are apparently mad that they're not being given enough to do and somehow this should be solvable. I don't know why it's not, but it seems like we've got the components to make there this There is work. like a different framing one could take with the start of this article of, you know, acting surprised that a meeting might not have accomplished anything. A, you know, <laughs> a, an office worker was in a meeting that seemed pointless. <laughs> this is, you know, the famous experience of office workers. <laughs> There is that there's that famous graph of like how CEOs spend their time and like 75% of it adds up to just meetings and the other 25% could be replaced by time on the toilet and no one would be able to tell the difference. Encountering other people, 10%. (laughs) (laughs) I I do want to quote more from this article because it goes into the broader trend at play here. Keith Raboys, an early PayPal executive and venture capitalist, has accused large tech companies of seeing hiring as a, quote, vanity metric, deliberately hiring talent to keep them from working for other companies. Mr. Raboys made the remarks at a recent event held by the investment banking advisory firm Evercore. Terrible name, terrible company. Just moving on. Ever music genre. Some laid off workers agree. Quote, they were just kind of like hoarding us like Pokemon cards. A former meta worker hired in April 2022 says in a recent TikTok video about her experience at the company. In an interview, Brittany Levy, 35, says she was hired as part of a year-long training program dedicated to recruiting diverse talent, and she was frustrated to receive only one assignment shortly before being laid off in November. All of these mentions of TikTok and how they'd record their things just just makes me think of all those videos from last year where they'd have the TikToker like go through an average day in the life of my job and it's just them like going from restaurant to restaurant and playing with toys and and completely useless crap. Yeah, drinking fancy coffee in their new bar. Like clearly these are the people that this is the stupid job for. A lot of people in their thirties on TikTok apparently. I had no idea. Yeah, I I am constantly shocked by how many people I know. I mean, I don't I don't think I know anybody who's a big time TikToker, but the number of people I know who have exponentially more time than I do during the workday to just post is already gets under my skin to a ridiculous degree. So, I can only imagine how angry it would make me to find out that somebody I know has the time to like film themselves doing all this stuff. You know, the the posting job, the job where you can just be in a Discord or on Twitter all day, 
really has been the ideal for me. It's been what I've sought out. And currently my job is not that. It is very much offline. And I think that's probably been for the better for my brain and my sanity. But at any rate, there's a real gulf between the people who can spend their day opining online and the people who are busy from the hours of nine to five and like can't be on their phone or a laptop. Yeah. And having said that, I did notice in, in this particular uh, case, this person mentions, you know, feeling set up for failure because they were only given the one assignment. And I guess that is a fair point. If you work in these kinds of jobs, you are expected to, you know, show product on some level. Like you should be able to point to the things that you've done. And it is conceivable, I would imagine, that if you worked at a job where they basically had you do nothing and just effectively rubber roomed you for nine months and then laid you off, that it might be more difficult for you to find another job after that. But I have my doubts about that because to even get to the point where you have this kind of job typically means that you have accessed, like you have hacked into the, again, no pun intended, the meta sector of the economy where you get paid to not actually do a real job. You get paid to grease the skids so that other people who have actual jobs to do, do their jobs. And that tends to be where not necessarily like the super huge money is, but it tends to be where the easy life is, such as it is. It tends to be where you're you're basically being paid. A lot of your wages are, as punching out co-host Alfred said on a Human Resentments episode that had a very similar track to this one, so it's been in front of mind. Your wages are basically how much money does it take to shut you up? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what came to my mind. Um We've gotten further into this segment than I thought we would before I brought up uh, David Graeber's book, BS Jobs, which um, we've talked about a lot on this show. The book is essentially about these sorts of jobs, people who feel that they aren't actually doing anything at their jobs. And one of the things he explores in the book is the sort of effect that has on the workers themselves who, you know, get prestige and respect from their peers and from their friends, you know, the people they talk to at parties or what have you, and have to like grapple with their internal shame that actually this job that sounds important is meaningless, doesn't do anything, doesn't do anything good for the world. Still, I I think I would prefer not having to do anything all day. I think that would be better for me. I would like that. I will take $190,000 to do that if anybody is offering. It it sort of makes you realize we talked before on this show about the complaints that people were doing an end run around uh, working from home by working two jobs from home so they could make money at both. And mm-hmm. again, what sort of I didn't realize at the time, but thanks to recently provided evidence, I've had reasons to kind of put two and two together on this one is that if you can do that, it's because the jobs that are available to you are jobs where you might not have much to do in the first place. And for some reason, those tend to be jobs that are very well remunerated in our society. Whereas somebody who, well, I was going to say somebody who works at McDonald's, foreshadowing, but, you know, a fast food worker is typically not doing nothing for the pittance that they are being paid. You know, agricultural workers are certainly messing themselves up and not getting any breaks for, if they're paid, what little they are paid. So it it really is this... <laughs> it's such a strict inverse correlation that you almost have to laugh. Because otherwise you'll give yourself a hernia. The fast food worker might have multiple jobs, but for a vastly different reason. And can't just sit at one hole doing the other. You know, they actually have to be there for those. Mm -hmm. It's 60 hours a week or what have you. Mm -hmm. 
The article also notes some internal tension in these companies because it turns out that these people's coworkers noticed that some of their coworkers weren't really doing anything. And it's a quote from the article, uh, another veteran tech worker, Derek McMillan, 32, who worked at Facebook and Salesforce before the pandemic, says that during his time at Salesforce, he often felt as though 20% of employees did 80% of the work, while their peers did on-site yoga and took long lunches. McMillan said that he felt some coworkers there pushed work onto peers and that anyone pushing back risked being seen as having a bad attitude. This guy does sound like a narc. This guy doesn't sound cool exactly, but there is something <laughs> to the idea that like, if you're, you know, there should be some sort of solidarity between workers in a workplace. The idea that some people are doing all of the work while others have their feet up on their desk. I don't know if that's cool either. None of this is cool. We're talking about tech workers. Get them. Let's go. Yeah, no, it, it, it sucks. Uh, there are one of the things that I have discovered about my workplace because there's so little communication. We're so siloed from each other is that I will think, you know, I'm, I'm spending, I'm not spending enough time doing this or something like that, uh, or I'm not spending enough time on parent communication or I'm not spending enough time on preparing these plans or whatever. And I will invariably find out that there is somebody spending way less time than I am on all of those aspects of the job. Conversely, I will also find out that there are people who are absolutely killing themselves, spending much more time than I am doing all of that for absolutely no reward other than like looking at themselves in the mirror. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's this very tragicomic setup where... Some of us are, because we're not going to get the monetary reward, it's like the conscience at the end of the day is supposed to be what our true remuneration, our true paycheck, if you will. Uh, but yeah, that, that doesn't really pay uh, rent. It doesn't pay for food. It doesn't really, you, you can't use that to exchange it for goods and services. So it It sucks. And I can certainly understand frustration with somebody else feeling that they're lazier than you are. But at the same time, like, dude, clearly you didn't need to be working so hard either. This story does have a sad ending, which is that all of these tech companies are doing massive layoffs now. And, you know, the rhetoric from the CEOs at these companies is a lot of, you know, trimming the fat and cutting out the slackers and the fake workers. And, you know, we're not here to sing the praises of the bosses who are doing that because, you know, if you have the money to give people to do nothing, that's on you. I think that's as good a place as any to end this segment. When we come back, we're going to complete the circle of life by talking about what happens when you do get laid off from your made-up job that you got through a made-up job listing. We'll be back. This is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective, and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter, at punchingoutwayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. In our first segment today, we talked about a, a growing trend, apparently, of companies posting job listings for jobs that they do not intend to fill. Just fictional listings, more or less. And then in our second segment, we talked about people who have been hired by major tech companies to do what they say amounted to nothing for months at a time. Now, as we complete the uh, corporate life cycle, the workplace life cycle, we're going to talk about people who have been laid off. And unfortunately, they have not been fake laid off. They've actually been laid off. Well, in most cases. 
as far as we know. We, we know of at least one company where whether you've been laid off is a matter requiring near forensic investigation. <laughs> um, they certainly haven't gotten any severance payments. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very true. <laughs> Are you actually laid off if you never get your severance? We can't get into metaphysics here. Um, there is an article in Vice from April 4th by Maxwell Strachan. Headline, the future is here and it's being sent home to wait and to find out if you've lost your job. Details a layoff process at McDonald's that is mm, rather novel. Last week, the fast food chain McDonald's told U.S. corporate employees that the company was temporarily shutting its headquarters down from Monday to Wednesday and that workers should cancel all in-person meetings and plan to work from home during that period as a result. The reason, the company said, was so that leadership could perform layoffs remotely. Now, a lot going on here. Obviously, Uh we've spent multiple episodes talking about the push from corporations to get their office employees back to actually working in office. So it is interesting that McDonald's is inventing a reason for them to not work at the office. The other thing that comes to mind is sort of the underlying rationale being we are afraid of somebody shooting up the place. I wonder why you would wonder why there, there's certainly no reason. This is the United States of America in 2023. Um, I'm just trying to point out the fact that this is, this is happening because the people, so we talked about the meta sector of the economy, the people who basically just grease the skids. So the people who have actual jobs, which in the case of McDonald's is a whole lot of people who are getting constantly yelled at that, you know, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean and, and all of those old timey favorites, the people who don't really do anything except make it possible for that to happen are all cowards. If these layoffs had to happen face-to-face, if you had to sit in front of the person that you had to lay off and tell them, here's why we're letting you go, here's why we're downsizing, blah, blah, nobody would ever lose their job again. But we have created a culture all the way from within the workplace to the media covering it that this Vice article actually is something of an example of pushback on that. And, and it's very mild pushback in a lot of ways. A lot of the people quoted are at pains to excuse this. It mostly amounts to professors saying, hmm, haven't heard of that one before. That's unusual. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, and, and, and people saying, you know, we're not sure if this is going to turn out to be the right or the wrong way to go about it. It's the wrong way to go about it. But we're allowing these people to continue thinking that they are masters of the universe while hiding in their little cubby holes because they're afraid that, frankly, somebody that might actually be facing economic precarity might be angry about that fact. Yeah, and I think partly it's also to taint the whole idea of working from home, like workers were clamoring for work from home and and they love the flexibility that it gives them. But if you now associate working from home with uh, the possibility of losing your job, then I'm not saying it's going to work in making that not an appealing aspect for, for employees, but I think it, it's an idea of like, Oh, you wanted to work from home so much. Well, we're going to fire you from home. Ha ha ha. How's it feel now? I think that's truthfully the the biggest reason why they did that. And that way they could shut their laptops after they fired somebody and not have to deal with any of the emotional aftermath of it. Whoa, 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 whoa. CEOs have emotions too. They're going to cry. We know this from one of our geniuses from last year. <laughs> it affects them. About that okay? It reminds them of their grandmothers and everything when they fire a lot of people remotely. Yeah. I don't know As why. Everyone's that's... grandma does. Yeah. Well, if you're going to fire people remotely, you're not able to have a concert with Run DMC at their big layoff. Oh, God. So there are drawbacks to this new method. 
Yeah, I love the idea that you say, just like Rum DNC, your careers here are officially past. <laughs> this article mostly talks about the sort of logistical concerns of all of this, the pros and cons of laying people off this way. Uh, McDonald's in a statement talks about how uh, with so many people on the go because it w- was the week of Passover and the week before Easter, this was just the easiest way to get everyone in one virtual place. Which and is another the- way of saying you laid off a bunch of people right before Easter and Passover. There's never a good time to lay anyone off, Noah. You know what? You're right. I'm very sorry. I'm sure people who are smarter and richer than me would all know that. There's someone in this article who's quoted as wondering, you know, how are these people going to get their belongings? You know, what do you do about the stuff that they have at the office that are, is everybody supposed to bring all of their belongings back home with them for these remote days, whether or not they end up on the chopping block or not? There's, all of this is very silly. It's very, it's, it's dumb. It's just stupid. It's a dumb way to do it that, that they think they're going to get away with uh, something and making something easier on them rather than just a logistical nightmare for any other person besides the one wielding the ax. Like it'll be more complicated for all your coworkers that are still there. But like, oh, did have you heard from this person? Does this person still exist? Like, have they are they fired or did they like die? Like, what happened here? Uh, you don't know, and it creates a an environment of obscurity. Is that a word? Of of the opposite of transparency, which is what anybody actually wants to work for. Just shut up. Both of you. <laughs> I see the looks you're giving me. <laughs> Technically, it's opacity is the word you're looking for, but sure. <laughs> Shut up, both of you. <laughs> Anyways, my point is, I'm still right, even if the words aren't. So, uh, whatever my point was, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> see, I think... <laughs> It is very stupid. I think, Ryan, you kind of alluded to the impetus here all the way back at the beginning of the show. You said this is one of the ways in which the economy is just kind of made up as it goes along. Like this, these are people who are winging it. I don't think this was a decision made after a lot of careful study with, you know, reading some literature on what's a good layoff procedure or anything. It was just like somebody said, we're about to fire a whole bunch of people right before Easter and Passover. What's a good way that we don't all end up with bullets in our heads? And somebody else said, just send them home. Isn't that the right move? Like it, it, I imagine this being one of those decisions that if it were a TV show, this would be the like, you know, tying of the knot at the end of the episode. Oh, genius. You know, we're all, we, we came up with this improvised solution, but for obvious reasons, it sucks. Because this is just a bunch of people who were like, yeah, you remember you remember that movie Up in the Air? Because, like, nobody does. Uh, you remember that movie? You remember how much it sucked to fire people? Yeah, let's even take that off the table. Not just, we're not even going to hire somebody else to do it. We're going to hire no one to do it. No one's going to talk to you. You just find out whether you're separated, terminated, executed, whatever their other various words that mean killed have to do like it it's we our corporate vocabulary is is beyond reprehensible at this point no you talk about the vocabulary that we're all um treated to by these people there is one sentence in this article that sticks out to me now on on rereading quote it's pretty unusual, agreed Sarah Roadhurst, the CEO of Onwards HR, a, quote, separations platform that helps companies with the layoff process. Speaking of up in the air. Exactly like that. Anyways. 
separations platform. That that sounds like Uber something for hiring, hiring a, people. Or a, I would. I went more visceral with it. That sounded like something you'd have in a slaughterhouse, a separations mm. platform. Just ew. No, it's it's disgusting, and it's disgusting because these people know what they're doing is wrong, and they know they're cowards, and they know they have no spines and no souls. So they have to invent all of these linguistic <laughs> separations from what they're actually doing so that they can avoid thinking about it when they go home to their families and you know, pretend that they're good human beings the rest of the time. I I talked about in, in one of the past segments about how some of us were supposed to take our consciences, the fact that we have a clean conscience as our reward instead of money. And in this case, yeah, like it, it, it is kind of the opposite. I think there are a lot of people who may have good politics and good ideals and they think, hey, I work this crappy job that requires me to do things I would rather not do, but I have to feed my family, I have to find a way to live in a place somewhere, and so on. And I think that misses two things, which is one, as we've talked about in our previous two episodes, they want to lash us all into this machine, they want to make us all complicit in all of this stuff, no job is going to escape it. And number two, at some point it is incumbent on you to be a better person. It just is. I'm sorry. Like there, there has to be a point at which your contributions ethically, like, I guess what I'm saying is if any of these people who had fake jobs and were posting fictional listings and whatever, if any of these hiring managers were like at the same time, I don't know, like uncovering corporate secrets that the rest of us could use to like prosecute corporate abuses and things like that, or reveal, you know, how much of these CEOs time is spent on the toilet or whatever, like that would actually be useful. It would move society forward in some small way, but they're not doing that. They're just complaining that they don't have enough to do. So we're actually getting the worst of both worlds. We're getting people who are being paid way too much money to do nothing. And they are contributing nothing to the rest of society. And meanwhile, those of us who would like to contribute something to society are too damn busy doing our jobs. So we just are never, there's no way to progress there because the people with the actual energy and the spirit to want to make anything better don't have the time to and vice versa. We're going to wrap up this segment, but, Though this is our third segment, and typically that's where the show would end, we have more punching out for you after this brief break. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah and Lou. Hey, guys. The first segment, we talked about these fictional job listings. Um, uh, you know, like Wizard, Dragon Slayer, Economist. <laughs> <laughs> In segment two, we talked about people who have jobs that are real and pay them real money to do fake work, to do no work in some cases. And in segment three, we discussed the very real layoffs that are taking place over Zoom and remotely because companies suddenly have less interest in the importance of everybody coming together in the office and you know bonding and all of the benefits that stem from that what are we to make of all of this fake nonsense all of these like myths effectively that we've laid out here like how are we to analyze an economy that contains all of these trends simultaneously overworked workers people doing fake jobs that don't have any work, invented job listings for jobs that won't be filled, 
remote layoffs, despite the push to get everybody back into the office. What lesson are we to take from these contradictions? Capitalism is dumb and inefficient. Boom. Well, yes, but how are we going to fill the other eight minutes? Good question. I, I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. We were talking after, before we started recording about how these are all pretty, on the surface at least, disparate phenomenon that are going on and that we have fake jobs, we have people not working enough and then being laid off weird. Like these, these don't have a tie except to illustrate the point that we've been making for the past 800 years almost that companies don't know what they're talking about. They, they're not the scions of efficiency and genius that a lot of people in our country who are in positions of power want to uh, frame CEOs and companies and anybody with a lot of money as being. So instead, the reality is they are faking it way harder than anybody else in the economy because to some degree, their jobs and their actual, like, the house of cards that they have created aren't based in reality and are instead based in like some mythical realm maybe the metaverse where things align to the visions that they're talking about so rather than you know reality being the work that the three of us do every day and so many other people do every day to just get through the day it's a make work in a make world that doesn't reflect reality yeah a lot of the realizations here there are a lot of jobs that don't need to exist there are not enough people doing the jobs that do need to exist and the reason that there aren't enough people doing the jobs that need to exist is because those jobs suck they are hard to do and they don't pay well but that's a choice they could pay well They could have better benefits. They could have better protections, but they will still suck. One thing that I'm fond of pointing out to fellow lefties is that if all of these things that if if the way that we talk about schools on the left and teaching, if all of those were carried out, if those pedagogical reforms happened, you might fix teaching as a job. You might make it very hard to leave teaching as a job, but teaching would still be a pretty difficult, pretty sucky job. Farming is never going to be an easy job. Being, a, a, you know, you might be on the abolished restaurant side on of the left, but like those are never going to be easy jobs. Cooking for a ton of people, never going to be an easy job. Those are hard jobs. We don't remunerate them well because we want people to be scared of having to do those jobs. If you're a career coach who gets fired because you were on TikTok all the time, because you had nothing to do at your quote unquote actual job, you want to be you want those people to be scared that they might have to do that job instead. And what we end up with is a society where there are a lot of people doing no work, and there are a lot of people doing way too much work. And there should be a balance somewhere where maybe we all kind of figure out a way where we all work a little bit less and have more time to do the other things that we should be allowed to do with our time, rest, be with our families, pursue any creative outlets that we might have. Like that is a real thing that should exist. And it effectively doesn't because we don't want to admit that the people who feed us and clothe us and educate us and do everything else that is required for society to even function at a basic level deserve better. And then the other thing that I would note is that as we've seen throughout these articles, we deeply need a skeptical business press because in almost all of these, Maxwell Struan comes closest in the Vice article, but almost all of these articles are full of people who at best are trying to avoid annoying anybody so that their side consulting gig or main consulting gig for that matter will not be threatened because they get caught out saying something negative about businesses in the Wall Street Journal. There is a 
a very real way in which our society has laid out these sorts of jobs, these office jobs, these make work gigs in Silicon Valley, these jobs where you can take a two hour lunch and have a yoga break as almost the reward for striving. The like carrot at the end of the stick for a lot of people is the possibility that they will get to avoid the real economy that makes stuff and teaches children and heals people and does the things that society needs in order to survive, right? To return to the David Graeber book, he talked about how the more you feel that your job is valuable and necessary for society, the less you are likely to be paid for it. We've engineered an economy to reward people for their ability to um, BS, if you will. And that's not good, right? That's like if you were to sit down and design the rules of a game that you would not try to incentivize players to play that way. You would try to incentivize, uh, you know, productivity and having useful skills and anything but the metaverse, frankly. You would do everything in your power to avoid people from putting a billion dollars or however much money Mark Zuckerberg has now spent on virtual reality, people with no legs. You would and I would and Lou would. These are not the same people we are. In many cases, because they were born into privilege and they have been born into a life of believing that they are better than the rest of us and that ergo they are smarter they are kinder, they just know more than we do. In some cases, because they are full of themselves and have been, regardless of what circumstances they were born in or continue to experience. And in some cases, in particular with the McDonald's layoffs, because they are thoroughgoing cowards who understand that they are useless to society, that they are parasites on this world. These people do not exist to do anything useful, these people have never done anything useful, and they want to continue doing nothing useful. And the rest of us are complicit insofar as we have allowed them to develop into a cast of make work like factota that we would never allow if these were government employees. We would never allow if these were civil servants. But because they work in the corporate sector, we let them get away with it. Because frankly, I think a lot of us, and I mean, I was pretty upfront about it. Wish we had a job where we did nothing all day. Yeah, that's the dream. That is the like only job you're allowed to want on Punching Out is the one where you clock in at 9 a.m. and kick your feet up because you've got nothing to do. That is the ideal. Uh, these are people who, in theory, are doing nothing but taking value from their boss and cashing a check that they do not profit off of that's that's the dream right but better people deserve to be living it i'm gonna say i'm gonna be ryan for this segment where he was being bad and praising a boss earlier and say like i actually don't want that i want a job that actually means something and and allows me to do something because i hate being bored so you know telling on myself sorry guys bad punching out host that's the thing if you find meaning in your work that's great I have had a job that I'm supposed to consider meaningful for 12 years. I don't find meaning in it. And I would rather, frankly, spend my time doing something that could contribute to the sum total of human knowledge or creativity or, or progress in some way, shape, or form. But that is not possible for me to do because I'm busy doing my job. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we have a happy note to end on here, but... We do have to end somewhere. Unlike money at Meta, our time is not infinite. And so for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. 
Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.